Hello and welcome to Soundtrack Showdown, our monthly podcast where we take two soundtracks, compare them across five rounds and declare an overall winner. Welcome to our Halloween special. With me today is Tristan Kane mm-hmm. and myself, Ella Kova. And I'm very excited about talking about these two film soundtracks because we're going really, 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 really far back. Like almost to like the beginnings of like the horror music sort of scores and how it all began, aren't we? Hmm? You know, and just how much of an impact like these films have had as well. Yeah, but also how watchable they were. So I was, I was really yeah. impressed. I was really impressed. I feel like we should probably actually introduce what we're talking about. I know. So we are talking about the amazing, the iconic King Kong made in 1933, music by Max Steiner, and then versus The Bride of Frankenstein made in 1935 and music by Franz Waxman. Two truly iconic film music um, composers in two most significant films in in film history. So, like, why not? And, uh, I mean, firstly, I just wanted to ask, like, what were your thoughts on the films before we delve into, like, the rounds and just dissect them further? I I was nervous that they would be kind of not very good. (laughs) That that maybe, like, they were reliant on a, a shock factor that wouldn't carry. (laughs) <laughs> what like the like all the new films are yeah, yeah. I, I almost feel like the new films that are coming out the new horror films go like in 10 in 100 years time i don't think they're gonna have the same effect like mm. the same sort of like level of respect and like admiration as maybe the old these films i i Do you know agree what I, mean? I don't even though these films obviously have dated <laughs> considerably. Well, they have to have dated because of, of technology progresses uh-huh. and everything. So, Weirdly, genuinely, I found the special effects really impressive. There are definitely movies now, and I'm looking at you, Sharknado series, where the special effects are just objectively worse than these ones. Like, obviously, King Kong himself and some of the special effects in Bride of Frankenstein, they can't hold up to Jurassic Park. Um, or even like the shape of water or something, but they—they're not bad. I, th- there's a scene in um, which we're not talking about the music from, so I suppose I can talk about it now. There's a scene in Bride of Frankenstein where Doctor Pretorius is picking up the like the little people he's created. Yeah, that's I, really yeah. clever. I know. I was really impressed by it. And like you couldn't like sometimes with like these effects you can kind of see where the green screen is or like the optical illusions yeah. are sort of thing. But like I think because it was done in black and white it does obviously hide it a little bit better. But still, I agree. I was very impressed with that. It's fun also to to see the the influences of these are very much like the the originators of so many tropes. Like this is the like Frankenstein with bolts in his neck. Frankenstein. This is where that's from. It's also just these two films in particular. They're really interesting. Uh, and so the last little 
you know, film nerd aside that I make, is there a really interesting comparison because they just happen to fall directly across the um, the Hayes Code. So for King mm-hmm. Kong is a pre-code film and Bride of Frankenstein is a post-code film, which for mm-hmm. those playing at home who maybe aren't so aware of that, it's like the huge kind of like morality and cinema code which dominated cinema for like 60 years after that. Because apparently like in King Kong, there is a censored scene in there. There's a few censored uh, scenes, but one in particular, yeah. Yeah, that we will be that we'll be talking in, in one of our rounds. Um, but it's funny with Bride of Frankenstein. Again, this is probably because I it was the second film that I right. watched, hence why I was probably a little bit exhausted after the first King Kong of just being like so astonished and enamoured by it. But I know that Bride of Frankenstein is meant to be celebrated more because of its more sentimental elements. Um, there's more sort of existential. Um, subtext to it you there's know, a lot about, of subtext you know, to it yeah yeah much more than the first frankenstein um hence why it's re- redeemed as more of a successful film and there's so much analysis a bit about it mm-hmm. um so when there were certain scenes i rewatched, i was like oh yeah no i get it it's really good however however okay <laughs> going in i was expecting to see more of the bride oh, because yes. it's it called is, yep. bride of frankenstein <laughs> so okay i was expecting her to come in like maybe halfway in mm-hmm. but no you yeah. literally get like well, maybe six minutes of her like literally just six to like under 10 minutes mm-hmm. of her mm-hmm. at the end of the film and i was really really annoyed at first mm-hmm. i was just like what is this it's called bride of frankenstein and you do not have the bride until right at the end but I know, but then obviously after a second watch, I then understood that it's it's more about the characterization of the creature mm-hmm. as opposed to, and his journey, his development of finding self, mm-hmm. you know, and learning to talk and learning to feel and like wanting to feel, have acceptance and love, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, that was the main focus. Yeah. So that was the main focus of, it, of the film, which... You know, in hindsight and after a second watch, I was like, oh, okay, I get it, fine. But that's my sort of thoughts to it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Shall we talk about the rounds? Sure. So the round one, monster intro. Round two, romance and flirt. Ooh. Round three, rampage and carnage. <laughs> round four, finale and the demise. And then round five, legacy. So just before we go into the rounds, I did want to kind of just talk about slightly about, I guess, a slight little history into how much of an impact like these films had and how much we really need to appreciate how far we've come Okay. in terms of like music and cinema. So like back in the day, like in the 1920s, when silent films were in vogue, like music was the main accompaniment, but each cinema would have its own orchestra or like a main organ pipe player, depending on the size and the prestige of the cinema. And so at that time they had each sort of cinema had its complete freedom to play as they saw fit because there was no um, music sort of assigned by a composer for that particular film by the director or the collaborators. Um, So seeing a film in one cinema could be a very different experience in another. And so you can imagine if the music doesn't resonate with the film or 
the story because the orchestra didn't connect or interpret it the right way could be very damaging. And so the studios at that time didn't have control over what music was being played in the cinemas, like by these orchestras until 1926, um, uh, with the film called Don Juan, um, where because the, the creation of Vitaphone was used to play the music over the projector as opposed to having to use orchestras. And also in, in the introduction of the talkies, when they came in, um, they kind of put the in-house cinema musicians out of business because they basically decided, you know, dubbing was the new thing. And back in the day, so when, well, wait, no, let me say that again. So when the talkies like when the talkies came in, the process of recording film music was quite laborious at the time at first and expensive and difficult as they as before they knew how to record and dub music film film separately musicians had to be present on set hence why they used to record a lot of like musicals because they were easier to film mm. until 1931 when the new process of dubbing came in and of having its own like so you had a sound stage and then you had a scoring stage, which mm. so that kind of kept it separate. So an example of like how horror films music kind of developed. So Dracula in 1931 was the first sound universal horror, but the music still used existing classical music from like Swan Lake, like Tchaikovsky and Wagner's and Schubert's. And so then Frankenstein in 1931 came in and it did have music, but I think it had music at the beginning and the end, mm. but there was no score throughout the film. Mm -hmm. And then, so then that's when the 1933 with King Kong and Max Steiner came in, kind of changed everything yeah. in some ways. So I think it's just as fascinating just to see how technology has made music and film connect with each other so much. You know, we kind of take it for granted a little bit now with the, like, you know, the technologies that we have in mm -hmm. place of just being able to record music on computers and stuff like, but I don't know, I just feel like we really need to kind of take a step back and really kind of think about just how things change in such, in such a short space of time to for us to enjoy the films as we do now. Does that make sense? It does, absolutely. And that the, these films are right at the beginning of that idea that these are like the first time really some of the first films where people are really thinking what can a specific bespoke score deliver to this film like the Max Steiner in particular is beginning to ask some of those questions for the very first time of like what music should I write for this scene um, because before then as you say yeah it was it was live musicians in each cinema and they would usually have like um, books full of music that would be like sad music, romantic music, happy music, and they would just kind of like pick whichever one they felt might fit best from the like 20 happy songs in their, <laughs> in their book, for instance. But this was the first time that they're actually really kind of thinking about, um, about how things There's should fit together. There's more of intent. Together. Yeah. Um, and, and I also think it's, it's very important about the fact that how much the composers fought for that right to include yeah. music in films because studios also at the same time when talkies came in they felt like well do we really need music like you know dialogue pretty much does everything in terms of like telling the audience what they need to feel and show emotions and stuff so but 
And dialogue was new too. They'd only had dialogue in films for six years. So, like, they were excited enough to be able to actually have dialogue after, like, a few decades of theatre having this advantage of having spoken word and them not. Mm. So they're still pretty pretty excited about having dialogue in there. (laughs) But maybe more so that dialogue should dominate more than the music. Like, music should be very, very, like, not even secondary, like, really at the back of the line, Mm -hmm. sort of, in terms of priority. And... Composers like Steiner and what Watsman, Waxman. I think they, what Waxman, Waxman. So um, Steiner and Waxman, they actually, you know, they kind of fought for that right more mm-hmm. by showcasing and composing these beautiful scores, you know, which kind of cemented the idea that music in film is important. Mm-hmm. You Absolutely. can't have one without the other. Absolutely. Look, I'm I'm excited enough. Shall we move on to round one? Yeah, so it's round one, monster intro. Did you want to introduce it? Sure. So for this one, we're listening to a track called Entrance of Kong. I mean, for me, the first minute of it just reminded me of Jaws and Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has that like that sort of pacing, mm-hmm. um, and like the unseen threat pacing and cl- getting trying to get close to you, and it has that intensity build of this impending doom and magnitude. How I love how the brass is mimicking the Kong stomps at first, and it's so yeah. quiet because you can feel this distance, and then it gets louder as it gets closer and closer, and then you reveal the monster, and Anne's reaction, just this shock of just sheer terror and panic, and then her theme is changed up a little bit to reflect this because it starts going exaggerating, going really, like, manic. Mm-hmm. Her own theme, you know, it's meant to kind of showcase her screaming, like, help! me help me save me anybody um 
And then I like how then like there is that interaction between the two because then when you kind of the emotional interaction, the musicality, because, you know, he looks a bit bamboozled and puzzled at first. Mm-hmm. And the music kind of highlights that a little bit. Yeah. You know, because he's like thinking like, what is this screaming thing? What is this? And, you know, after a quick ponder, then he cleverly starts to unscrew her restraints. And there's a trumpet moment or like a trumpet slash um, brass line. Hmm. Um, when he kind of like figures out like, oh, okay, who is this thing? Um, which I think is meant to kind of... Sh- hints at his interest and I guess awakening mm. and figuring that in figuring out that maybe I'm not gonna eat this actually maybe I'm gonna this is a little bit this is something a little bit more than yeah. just food yes <laughs> what did you think yeah I agree I I think just sort of like pick up on the point that you've just made like it is fascinating how in you know as you've said these are some of the first films where the music was specifically written to the film they immediately go to essentially mickey mousing like they immediately go to this idea of um the music very very closely connecting to exactly what's happening on screen perhaps too much so for for a modern audience and i guess at least part of that might be because um you, there already was a tradition of animation having been created directly to music and in fact maybe that's part of what's going on here because this film is essentially partially animated mm. in the way it's constructed but yeah that close relationship as you say you can feel the um, or you can hear the thoughts of Kong expressed through the music directly mm-hmm. um, you, you feel like you can actually tell exactly what's going on and that I mean this is this film is a real showcase of music in that sense in that its main character doesn't speak um which i guess it wasn't unusual for a film at the time having just come out of silent movies and there's still being some silent movies i think at this point um but the the character doesn't speak and the music is doing a lot of that heavy lifting so that is Mm. like that is really interesting to see how that worked back then right at the birth of all this um apart from that i mean the main things that i'd really sort of say about the music is that it's basically it's just it's really heavy on a very sort of old-fashioned sense of exoticism um there's some sort of very like um uh, almost a little bit uncomfortable sort of like chinese east asian-esque sounds that he kind of uses in a lot of the sort of the atonality and the the heavy use of the tam tams and really kind of cacophonous chords like he's got a real kind of like chinese opera sound happening at times to sort of make it feel very exotic and somewhere else and this is something that's happening in the jungle which yeah i don't know if you would necessarily do now but you know it's 1933 like <laughs> But look, apart from that, I mean, it it kind of it ticks all the boxes, doesn't it? It's big, it's heavy, it's oppressive. You can you can really hear how it's shocking, yeah. And you you can really tell that the the modern template really hasn't moved that far from big, heavy percussion and fast string patterns being how you do like a terror action scene in a in a film like this. So yeah, I I think it's kind of cool also build that anticipation of the reveal of mm-hmm. the monster you know mm. it's great it's tension just, building yeah but at the same um, time it's still very clearly sonically far closer to like um, 19th century concert music than it is to the modern sound like you mm. can clearly hear that too so mm. cool then moving on to bride of frankenstein and its monster entrance they really pushed the boat out with the names of these tracks, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> 
Look, I mean, this is just like it's really classic 20th century atonal writing. Like it's it's really kind of contemporary to the time. It's very like the first thing I think of when I hear it is is Stravinsky. It sounds like something out of Rite of Spring with those like the, the sort of the woodwind, the murmuring woodwind solos and sounds. There's definitely some octatonic and generally like not quite <clears throat> diatonic tonal writing going on. And the effect is just... Um, it creates um, this sort of really murky, suspenseful atmosphere. It sounds like a bit of um, at times it's almost Schoenberg-esque, but it's 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 very Stravinsky as well. Um, there's that there's a fanfare that comes in, a sort of a trumpet fanfare, which now feels I think a little bit quaint um, to have like a full trumpet fanfare. Um, you hear it a lot in both of these movies, but um, I, I just want to point out that that fanfare is very much the the late motif for the monster that we'll be hearing for the rest of the film. So it, it, it's nice that it's there and it sticks out really stridently. Uh, but I mm. like it. I think it's really effective, actually. Mm. Yeah, you definitely like it's effective because it does exude the aspect of loneliness and isolation, but mm. with a murderous undertone. I'm not going to lie. The first or few seconds of it, it really reminds me of Godfather theme. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because the lines, the lyrical lines are quite similar Mm -hmm. in some ways because it has a sort of somber aspect to it. Sure, yeah. And it's quite confused as well, which, you know, it's everything, everything I'm describing is meant, it just, ties in with the creatures characteristics and their personality and like when the tremolo strings come in like they have they bring in this sort of sinister layer to it almost Mm. there's an element of suspicion because you have to understand that obviously the creature is young still and there's curiosity but suspicion because you know of it trying to find its way around this world but it's constantly being rejected and Mm. like when he whenever and attacked, yeah. So every time any interaction with a human being, there's always that, that suspicion: are they are they going to accept me, or are they going to run away from me, mm-hmm. or attack me? You know. Um, then yes, as you say with the trumpet, when the fanfare, when the theme comes in, belting, and there's moments in the pitch of the instrument that is quite messed up, yeah, um, quite dis- just disjointed. Again, like him, and it's like giving his frustration a voice, and I mean. <laughs> It's weird. Personally, in comparison, it feels a little bit bare to the entrance of Kong. Sure. Um, as as I can hear that, it's a little bit of a smaller ensemble, you know, because mm. he was given only twenty two musicians to compose the whole the whole score, because um, it was it was done on the budget. Mm-hmm. However, I do agree of the influences of like Stravinsky and even with Kong, like there's like Wagner sort of opera. Yeah, for sure. But you kind of have to understand like these two composers and many composers of that time were coming from Europe. And so they were taught like the 19th century sort of yeah. classical, like composer of that time, which because of their, them coming all the way from Europe, they brought that their influences and their teachings over that defined the Hollywood music. Mm-hmm. Whereby you know they mix classical music with the big band, the big band horn players, which made it sound more rich, full, and more symphonic. So both of the, both of these soundtracks have that similarity. It's just it's interesting to see how one is a little bit much more fuller and bigger mm-hmm. because obviously it had more bigger budget in some ways, maybe, mm-hmm. or more use of the musicians. And this one's slightly less, but still has that 
character and has those um tr- I wouldn't say tropes just it has that tonality I guess mm-hmm. but which one is better yeah I mean look I for me actually I think I'm going to go with um with Waxman and Bride of Frankenstein for this one because I I find uh, particularly in this piece that's perhaps a little bit more sophisticated um and complicated as, as a piece of music um I agree okay. it is smaller it's more nuanced but it's it's beginning to really kind of open up um the idea of this character who was just a monster in the previous film is is going to be the emotional center of this film so he's having to really kind of like transform the perspective there and you know it's not like it achieves it instantly or anything but it's beginning to sort of make that make that move Uh, it's a tough call because king kong is amazing it builds tension it sets up how these scenes are going to be done for the rest of time i think um, so it's, it's, it feels a bit weird to go against that, but I, I just I really like the sophistication of this of this monster instrument's music from Bride of Frankenstein. Okay, well, shock, shock, horror! I'm going with King Kong. All right, so let's get to round one. Shall we go to round two? Romance and flirt. For a rather uncomfortable moment, the, our track is Kong undresses Anne. this is like one of the censored scenes Uh obviously as you know there are many but this is the one that um i mean even i when i was when i saw it i was a bit like oh oh yeah oh this is uh oh a little bit controversial here (laughs) a little bit like like bestiality hinting Mm -hmm. on bestiality a little bit um so but aside from what you see on screen the music is the first time where you hear the gentleness in the yes. music that we where we haven't heard before. And this is the scene where Kong, after fighting off many of his inhabitant monsters... And, yeah, it's sort know. of between a bunch of fights with monsters. Yeah, so it's yeah. just like tender moment as a direct contrast to him basically beating up dinosaurs for about half an hour. 
dinosaurs and big snakes and everything. So this is his moment with like him kind of like chilling and actually inspecting and at first <laughs> to see what is this that I have been gifted by the tribe. This is an so awkward he, scene. It really it is. It is an awkward scene because as he begins to strip her clothes, obviously this is kind of like Kong discovering sex. You know, her yeah. theme also. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. in some, it is. <laughs> I mean, her theme, like Anne's theme, kind of comes in as well, and it's very empowered. It's a very, in, it's apparent that Kong is enraptured by her. Mm-hmm. But um, like the way the woodwind mimicking his finger movements as he tickles or or fiddles with Anne. Uh, uh, can, <laughs> we, can, appra- can we just stick with tickles? <laughs> tickles. <laughs> <laughs> he tickles her as opposed to fiddling. <laughs> but anyway, so um, apparently, like, of its time, that scene, the accuracy in the film music was very unprecedented mm-hmm. because, like, I'd read... So, basically, how he managed to do that, Steiner, um, was, you know how you have a 35mm film and at the bottom or like if you hold it vertically on each side you have those like optical soundtracks like the yep. these little sockets yep. or like at intervals of scene like in between scene like on each scene yes. i guess yep and so steiner apparently in order for him to kind of be able to really pinpoint and map it out he punched his own holes to map up the tempo so when he listened back there would be this click coming in like a metronome which then I guess became known as the click track and therefore he was able to conduct orchestra much more exact in time with what was going on in screen so that was quite pioneering from his own yeah that's very clever yeah it's quite cheeky music it is there's a real like the way it expresses the beauty of Anne is with this very kind of like exotic lilt um, to it Mm. and then yeah there's a there's a humorousness to the the tickling and the and, and bits and pieces, but also but at the same time quite a lot of tension. There is, and I think this is the first time where we can almost, well, I don't know, I, may, I might be wrong, but I, there's a, this is the first time we where we can almost relate to Kong's feelings and his emotions. Yeah. Developing towards Anne, maybe. Yeah, I, I definitely think so, and like the entire theme of this film, as displayed in the opening title and displayed in the like closing line of it were built a beauty that killed the beast um like this is a very very key scene in terms of the the influence of beauty on on kong um like that that this is the core scene core scene for that the development of that theme um in fact the two scenes we just talked about are of him first seeing her and deciding not to eat her and and now this where he's like oh this is interesting well, yeah, it's almost it's the first thing where you see where he sees the value in her, yeah, because of how she, her beauty, is making him feel that he's never experienced before, having lived on this island from birth, mm-hmm. you know. So it's almost like you know when you are getting these emotions being awakened, you almost feel like, well, I don't want to get rid of this. I want to explore this. I want to keep. I want to hold on to this, yeah. you know. So, and then you kind of understand his motivations for when he is so desperate to protect and have her. Yeah. You know, it's very it's childlike in some ways, but it's understandable. Yep. Fair enough. I don't think I've got anything more to say on that. I think you have presented no. that quite well. So shall we move on to Pride of Frankenstein? 
and a scene from the very end of the movie uh, presenting the bride. I, li- I like this actually. I find it quite alluring. It's very otherworldly. It's very mysterious. A bit sexy. You yes. know, there's, I feel like there's a sort of a come hither sort of uh-huh. magne- um, um, hyp- hypnotic sort of quality to it. A little bit cartoonish. I think it's and very comic and cartoonish. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously, as you listen throughout the rest of the track and, you know, you, and you watch the film, there's the, you know, bit on the nose with the bridal sort of celebra- uh, bridal music, you know, the celebratory yep. bells that embellish her theme as well. You think, and, that's, you think that's the problem? You have a, you have a problem with those? Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a problem. It's just very on the nose, and it's just a bit like, oh, what? So now she has to get married. I think that there's a <laughs> she's the, the bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> no, but she doesn't know that she's the bride. I feel there's there's a little I, bit of a yeah, feminist in me that's that coming out. <laughs> no, I think there's the uh, there's a little feminist in me that's coming out, thinking, so you're creating her purely to be a bride for somebody, so you're not giving her a choice, even. Yeah. To like, you know, uh, yeah. That look, that's fair To, enough. like, make her own decisions on what she wants to do with her life. Like, maybe she just wants to go on a date with him a few times. Like, no, 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 you're getting married to this guy. Mm-hmm. It's a bit, like, um, very patriarchal. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, um, and, yeah, it's, it's interesting how, like, she seems to be much more driven towards Frankenstein than the monster. And... Yes. I think as you go along 
in the scene and as you go along with the music it does get a little bit comical and there is a it sets a false hope of romance because there's a lot of apprehension and hesitation and the way that in the theme the um the Frankenstein is the doctor. I think a lot of people seem to kind of confuse that Frankenstein is the creator, and then the creature, the guy, the guy, the guy with the bolts on his neck, is the creature. So I think this best way to kind of refer to him as that. So the creature's music versus the bride's music, like they start to kind of interplay with each other, and like hesitantly, like almost like when they sit down, it's kind of like a reenaction of a first date, and or like an arranged marriage moment, you know? And Do you like, think sadly... that, um, that the bride has her own theme? I, I felt that it was basically just the monster theme, but um, in a more um, romantic orchestration. No, what, that... that do, do, do. Yeah. No, that's her theme. Okay. The, Frank and the, the creature's theme, like the male creature's theme, is the... Is, is the is a much more the horn one. It's, that's her theme. Okay, okay. And so, yeah, when they kind of interact with each other and, like, yeah, and then she starts to recoil, it's, uh... Yes. It's sad. Because all he wants is to... He just seeks a connection and acceptance. Yes. You know, that's all he wants. He wants a friend. He wants a friend, yeah. So... What did you think? Uh, my my general feeling was that it's it's quite a, a comic piece in general. I think it's quite mocking of like I think it, it, as a piece, um, I often like to try and think of well, who who whose perspective does this piece of music represent, right? And in this case, I think it's kind of a, an audience perspective where it is kind of mocking Pretorius and Frankenstein. Um, because it's very much sort of playing just how over the top what they've just done is and how sort of out of depth they are, which is kind of the, the entire theme of Frankenstein in general, of the scientists being massively out of their depth, playing God, creating um, creating life from death, all of, all of that sort of thing. Yeah. And so having this sort of like the mocking versions of the themes, like even like her sort of um, her theme, it has this real sort of like uncanny not quite right quality of like you Mm. haven't really pulled this off like she kind of moves around like a bird um she's not she's not quite all there um and then you've got like yeah he announces the bride of frankenstein and then for me the wedding bells are less presumptuous and more like mocking um Mm -hmm. because they're they're not serious they're they're kind of like there and it i i think to me it like it, it is to show up the his internal grandiosity because particularly I think with Pretorius that is that is the thing of like um, whereas Frankenstein has Elizabeth and like in five minutes time the the monster tells him to leave and live his life do your thing but Pretorius is too far gone <laughs> kind of thing like Pretorius is he's sort of portrayed as just being like just too far gone too too obsessed with this with this as an idea and to an unhealthy degree. But apart from that, just like some of the little technical things, I love the like the the very bouncy timpani, which gives the sense of the of, of essentially her heartbeat. It's creating like the sound effect of her heartbeat of mm. to give this idea of life has just been created. 
um and beyond that the sort of general sort of whereas the the monster entrance had that very stravinsky sound because this is going more romantic i think it's got quite a tchaikovsky ballet kind of a sound but just in this like sarcastic mocking way and with the tremolo strings to just add that that little bit of suspense i look i think it's kind of cool um but it's it's an interesting perspective because it's I think it's quite yeah I think it's quite sarcastic. So which one is your favorite? That is actually incredibly difficult call to make. I I think I might go with Max Steiner for King Kong, partly because as you say he basically invented the click track for this and it's so like to scene. But also, it's a really weird scene. Like, even now, if you were to score that scene, exactly how to do it would be really difficult. Because I'm going to go for Kong as well. Okay. Shall we move on to round three? What have we got? Rampage and Carnage? Yep. Why not? And uh, what, is the, what is the track we listen to from King Kong? Oh, yeah. It's, hey, look out. Oh, no. It's, yeah. Hey. <laughs> Hey, look out! It's Kong! Kong's coming! And <laughs> That's <scene>. literally the title. <laughs> oh, dear. This is Mickey Mousing taken to an extreme. Um, you hear his footsteps. You hear him breaking the wall, the the door down. I, I feel like in this scene, the music is doing a lot of the heavy lifting for the sound effects that just simply aren't mm. there. Um, it's <clears> basically <throat> like Kong grunting and music for everything else, and a handful of like uh, bits of furniture falling, pretty much there and yes like it's massively mickey mousing you would never do it now it's so cartoony and it watching this scene in particular it reminds you of just how much music is in this movie like this mm. movie is almost start to finish music um it's almost a ballet at times but look it i think it really works yeah no i totally agree it's funny how like when we talk about mickey mousing there's a sort of uh, like a little disdain to it mm. nowadays when we refer to it but i think you the audience like we have to kind of acknowledge and understand like back in that time like when the, this this was completely new yes the syncing of music to to vision is is in fact the novel trick of this film that is the exciting thing to see and so to have 
those emotions and all that carnage happen and to have your senses completely overwhelmed with everything and to kind of I can imagine like you know this dread of seeing Kong mm. killing all these people I have to say I found this scene to be quite unexpectedly violent like the number of bodies yes. he devours and kills compared to the rest of the scene and the music really highlights the pressure like even at the beginning from like when he's trying to get through the gates like from both the both sides are trying to overcome one another and Kong wings, wins and when he opens the gate and then all hell breaks loose and like you, you, you get the sense of like there's no reasoning with him as he's all rage and his one focus is to get Anne and kill anything in his path. There's no mercy. Mm-hmm. And like you really see a, d- a dark side of him mm. where like all the previous battles and all the re- previous kills were for to protect Gan or like to save himself. Whereas yeah. here it's like it's so brutal and it's almost at times just uncalled for. <laughs> and yeah. it, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a few moments I was just like, yeah, you didn't really need to stump the guy on his head. Mm-hmm. Like, but at the same time, like, so as I said at the beginning, you feel his arrangement and like the music highlights that. And then there's the love theme that joins the orchestral rage as well. And it's, it, I just love how it like, it's if you pay attention close enough to the music you get all the information you need about the scene in the musicality oh, it's just yeah. how, how clear and intent the music back in those days was and so like nowadays like we take it a little bit for granted because we expect music to be very sparse and kind of like we we fill in the gaps musicality or like the scene the actors fill in the gaps and do you think maybe um, that um, directors now are too obsessed with the quality of their own special effects that they feel like the special yes. effects can carry a film better than they actually can and that these films are actually better in that they're, they're allowing the music to fill in the gaps? Because even Jurassic Park does that. Even Jurassic Park, like, it doesn't assume that the audience will feel wonder at the dinosaurs. The music gives you the wonder. Like, the, the music is doing the gap filling. Obviously, it's not creating the sound of the dinosaur, but it's, it's doing the gap filling. I would say that probably from maybe 2010 onwards, like mm. the music has started to kind of lose its purpose a little bit, or like the intention had changed because people didn't, they didn't, they view the Mickey Mousing or the constant sort of like the music telling the subtext constantly a little bit too on the nose. And they said, let's just strip that. Let's just create, let's just focus on the mood an atmosphere as opposed to trying to fill in the gaps of like yeah. giving a th- what the characters are feeling and telling that to the audience yeah you know? and i think that's a mistake in films of this scale like because essentially yeah, what that means is that you're treating this like shock and awe character uh, like they're a person uh, like they're just another human that that the two that the two people are interacting and it's not like the whole point of having whether it's King Kong or a dinosaur or the BFG or the um, the water creature in Sound of Water, like the whole point of them being so strange is just how other and different they are. And I don't think that the special effects can ever capture that quite as well as special effects plus music. Moving on to Bride of Frankenstein then. Yes, and a track that, I mean, frankly, you could have almost used this, this track title for, um, for the other one, Village Chase. Mm-hmm. 
Look, it is it is complex, but it is old fashioned. Um, it's so ballet like. Um, I feel like when you say old fashioned, it's like a bad thing. I know, I know. And look, it's like we're talking about a film that's ninety five years old, but like, um, I guess very much when when we're talking about these these um, films, uh, I think it's a real case of of asking yourself like how much of this is. Uh, in both cases, they are taking this musical tradition that had never been applied this way and seeing what they can do with it. You can already hear some of the beginnings of what action music is going to sound like in that, like, action means jagged, aggressive strings. Like, he's, he's already there. He's like, this is obviously how this is going to go. The only thing that's perhaps um, unusual is that he really doesn't use very much percussion at all. Um, yeah, I was quite surprised about that as well for an action scene. Well, yeah. like for, like for this particular scene, like in comparison to King Kong. I mean, I felt there was a comedic aspect to it. Okay. A bit of a parody. Like there's still elements of horror of the creature running around scaring people. And it's, you know, it builds and builds and builds into the scream of the strings crescendoing and just going, Wah! Mm-hmm. At the end, um, so like musically, it's chaotic, and you know it has all the right triggers showcasing the town people's fear and mayhem. You know, but I wasn't overwhelmed no. with what he. I wasn't like with what the creature left behind. Like I didn't have that terror, or like the um, what's the word, the shock value yeah. of what he left behind compared to king kong um i agree that it's still a template for Mm. the rest for all the other films that came afterwards um i i I don't i think it's a great it's great piece of music but i don't think it was the strongest no i think and i think it i think made the reason why i say that there's a comedic aspect to it is probably because of minnie (laughs) Mm -hmm. her because yeah um (laughs) She's fantastic. I think any, t- I think like any, yeah, she's a great actress and she's a great character. But I feel like any time she's on screen, she kind of overwhelms and um, yeah. dominates the music. Is she in some the ways, original Karen? <laughs> Is she the, the original Karen? Did you say? Yeah. <laughs> Who, who's Karen? Just, you know the idea of a Karen. Never mind. Don't worry. <laughs> Karen. Don't who's worry. Karen? Don't you you. I'll explain later. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so she kind of dominates and I just feel like the scenes where it's meant to be terrifying and as soon as she's in it, she just kind of like... Makes it funny. Adds that comedic underlay and you just... It, it doesn't... It's like a seesaw, but she ends up winning slightly. <laughs> <laughs> in a weird way. So, um, yeah, but I mean, I still like the music. It's just I don't think in, with the scene it's, it does what it needs to do to That's kind of true. portray the rampage and carnage you know the f- everything that comes with it okay i think that might be two votes for king kong then Alrighty then let's move on to round four finale and spoiler alert demise and for king kong we are going to be listening to aeroplanes slash finale
what did you think? This is a really interesting one because you can hear uh, quite a lot of sounds which have really persisted. Um, you can definitely hear um, in this sort of the grand eternality of it, elements of the supernatural awe template. There are parts of this that do sound not that far off what you would hear in a modern Godzilla movie or something like that. There's some little bits like I not noticed right at the beginning as the airplanes are taking off that you get this sort of like rolling propeller type music sound, which you still actually hear so much in movies when an engine is starting. Um, I know that like uh, John Williams especially uses it quite a lot for like the airplanes in the Indiana Jones series. You sometimes hear it when like a, an old timey car is starting up or just a, like a battered old car is starting up. You'll, you'll hear the, the orchestrator bring this kind of like vroom, vroom, vroom kind of sound coming in through the strings. Um, but it then just... I think it does hurt itself a little bit in that um, when it goes for sentimentality, which is important to this scene, particularly the little bits where Kong interacts with Anne and stuff, it drops into this very 19th century schmaltzy kind of a mode, which was probably quite effective when this film came out. But I think that has dated even more than everything else in the film. And it, it comes, it sort of, I, I don't know, I, I couldn't help myself finding it more comic than um, than touching, I guess. Um, and it's funny how you feel like the emotion you felt a little bit too dated to it, because I actually felt slightly the opposite, because oh, okay. the emotion, when you see him get tired from all the fighting and his wounds, and as he reaches out to Anne for comfort, mm -hmm. I, th I felt the music interacts, interacted quite brilliantly between what was going on inside him to what was going on around him. Okay. And uh, you feel for him, because then you kind of start to... Well, I mean, everybody thinks differently in terms of like w w what the images interpret for them. But for me, you know, I started to kind of question the whole of, you know, he didn't want to be like, he didn't want to be here. He didn't want to be offered Anne and then be taken from his island and everything that was done to him. It was in some ways against his will. Like he didn't ask for all this. So you feel that that the injustice that, you know, he's Aside from obviously killing everybody around him, <laughs> which again, you know, if he didn't take him from his island, you know, everything has a cause and a cause and, and reaction. Um, and his entire like... world was things trying to kill him. That is what we see in Skull Island, is that Skull Island is a kill or be killed world. It's, yeah, yeah, very toxic and very dangerous. So, um, and that's all he's kind of known. And, but, so I, I feel that for the first time when he has that, as I say, when he reaches out for comfort from Anne, you know, to try and um, keep hold of that emotion, you know, that mm -hmm. the soothness of it. I, you know, I felt, yes, in some ways, you, you, some people, the music can be quite cliched or, but um, I think it needed that separation. I think you needed that, those, those moments of disjointment where you know it goes from action to then tenderness terror mm. and then tenden tenderness um i completely agree with that i just felt like it went to the wrong sound for me but mm. in terms of the instinct and the timing i i couldn't i couldn't fault it at all mm. 
I, I kind of well for me I felt I started to feel for him okay great Moving on to Bride of Frankenstein. It's, this is called Explosion. <laughs> Kaboom. <laughs> Yay. never ever sounded so happy for things exploding (laughs) (laughs) oh carnage carnage yes what did you think of this look it's 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 very cartoony it's very mickey mousing it's quite short um it's like we're back to our very rhythmic stravinsky style sound it's I think it's very good at building the sense of suspense of everything as as we get closer and closer to the the idea of him pulling the lever and overloading the machines and blowing everybody up. Um, Spoiler alert. Uh, We have the brass screaming out in terror, the beating timpani with a sense of doom. So basically, like, the stuff that I felt was missing from the village and chase scene last time that I felt that, like, Steiner was doing better, Waxman does, like literally with bells on in this scene like he just he overwhelms and he he does and maybe that's why he didn't do it earlier because he needed this to be the more dramatic moment perhaps Mm. um because we get the like the symbol crashes like when the bomb when the things explode um the the symbols crash we we hear them again when like um big pieces of masonry fall and hit the ground um, we get the somewhat more comic, like descending do 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 type scene, um, mm. music from the like the tumbling stones, um, and then the whole movie ends with this huge like resolved major version of the monster theme. It's like it is old school. It is something that um, I would expect to only hear in like genuinely in a sort of kind of uh, slightly mocking cartoon now, but it's kind of fantastic as well. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, because the creature was un- was unable to bear the final rejection, the music really drives his emotion and mm-hmm. rage perfectly. The music is short. I really do feel like... like, But, but at the same time, it does so much in the finale. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does feel a little bit rushed, like even with the editing and just like, let's just quickly get into... Let's just finish, let's just finish this 
film as quickly as possible. And I felt like it's whereas... interesting that you watch this film second and you feel mm-hmm. like it dragged, and yet a lot of your criticisms it's shorter. are like I yeah, uh, like I really wanted another half hour of drama with the bride. <laughs> like it's like you really well, wanted another thirty minutes here. I think well yeah because the film is actually shorter than yeah, King Kong by about 30 minutes um, yeah yeah but I think it was more of like where they had the developed scenes like the conversations the dialogue between Pretorius and Frankenstein I felt like mm, I think those could have been shorter mm. and then the interactions between the bride and the creature could have been longer and then the finale could have been longer it almost felt a bit like the way that's maybe sometimes when films back in the day were being made is that you know you begin and you think you think you have all this time to make it really long and drama and really developed and you know as you go but then as you go along and you're nearing the end you're just like oh god we're running out of budget yeah. like we need to kind of quick things up okay let's just like quickly film this and then like be done with it so mm-hmm. it, there's that element that it just yeah it just kind of started to get a bit um rushed at the mm-hmm. end and then he, the creature says to Frankenstein no you you live and you just feel a bit like but didn't you want to kill Elizabeth like 10-15 minutes earlier I don't know it just um, all those elements just kind of like all the themes that were being built up right from the beginning and middle of the film kind of mm-hmm. get ruined and kind of like okay, you lose sense of them and their meaning, and they become meaningless at the end. But that's just kind of like the more theme side of things. And the mu- well, the music kind of reflects that as well, because it's just kind of like going along with the action. So, but again, I, like it's the, like you have to stress the music is fantastic. Yeah. But in terms of for me, how I felt, ah, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with King Kong. I'm definitely going with Bride of Frankenstein for this. I think. <laughs> it's okay. everything I wanted from the music for this film. And it, like, and Fine. it just gives it to me. So, Fine. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> but then let's move on to round five, Legacy. Right, so, I mean, there's a lot to say about Legacy for these two. Oh, I mean... Yes. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we almost need to do a whole episode, a separate episode for this. Uh-huh. Um, but we'll try and keep it relatively short and fill you with as much information. But, I mean, with King Kong, I mean, Max Steiner, I mean, just have the reading into, like, his history and his involvement with, like, the film music industry. It's kind of like, there's no... I, I, don't, I don't blame the... I completely understand why he's been given the title of the father of film score music um, because he wrote the first truly modern score and pioneered the way film score is used and respected um, like I mean to the point where like he when Max got into film music I don't know if you are aware of um, S-Capt. Um I think S-Capt is like um, the rights where they collect money for music that's played mm-hmm. in certain mediums. And so at that time, they ASCAP wasn't collecting any music, any money for music, for scores, unless it was a song published as sheet music yep. or a record that was sold, which was not very often in those days. And so Max actually, he fought a 27 year battle. 
a 27 year battle um, alongside with other composers saying that film music film music is music and film composers should be rewarded for what they do mm-hmm. yeah he basically and, invented sync licensing yeah yeah and you just kind of like feel like just starting in 1933 and then leading that battle is just kind of like you appreciate that because if yeah. it wasn't for him you know if he if he wasn't as passionate and so involved with what film music means to the industry he could have just been one of those people well i'm a great composer i'm going to get my paycheck i'm going to do my job and then just f off mm-hmm. you know but he he really saw the value and he really fought for it and he kind of made it groundbreaking and i guess in some ways how like Game music, I guess, in in the same way, mm. had to be fought for to be recognised as still film is. music. Still is, yeah. Being fought for. yeah. But the difference between now is obviously back in those days, like film music orchestras wouldn't play film music because they didn't deem it as like it's like um, prestigious enough. You know, they were they were still throwing their noses up and thinking, no, it's not classical music. Um, yep. It's not traditional. La 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 la. And then, but gradually nowadays, like if you look at Royal Opera, uh, Royal Albert Hall, and most um, sort of like um, music halls, all they play in some ways, they see the value in playing yeah. cinema music. Mm-hmm. And and especially now, it's evolved into people like the game music having the same sort of um, respect. Yep. In some ways, and I and I feel like that had started with Max Steiner. I think you know, obviously it's. It's, it's without saying he provided the prototype and I guess template for Hollywood to score fantasy adventure films. I mean, like Danny Elfman said that, you know, he became a film composer because of Steiner and King Kong, as well as um, Bernard Herrmann. Um, same thing with Jerry Goldsmith. Like mm-hmm. he said the same thing. So there's a lot of very well-known composers that we grew up with mm. had been influenced and would have not had the thought of delving into being a film music composer if it hadn't been for Steiner and many others as well but absolutely and I think the just on that I think the music really holds up like yeah when you listen definitely. to it in the film yes it does sound um it's hard to hear I mean that's the one thing that I yeah. did find when I was listening watching the film I it was hard for me to kind of try and pinpoints and kind of hear the different elements of the music but when I listened to it on like Spotify and uh, you know from a different uh, orchestra, which I know that in some ways they've changed things slightly, that it's not well, fully let's, the original. Let's li- well, let's listen to that, actually, because I think that's a, that's a really interesting point. Because, I mean, I remember we spoke about, actually, in our very first episode, the um, Jaws and Psycho one, about how, like, uh, American music in particular, and it had carried over into film music, was stuck in the 19th century in terms of, like, performance techniques and things like that. So it just the music sounded so wispy and, and, and old-fashioned. And that is true in the original recording. So not only is it hamstrung by, like, the recording techniques of the 30s, which are pretty limited, um, it, it's also, like... Uh, like a legacy of this really old performance style. So let's just listen to the uh, main title of King Kong as as heard in, in the film when it was published.
Okay, and so now let's compare that sound to how it sounds in this recording, which is the one you'd, you'd find on Spotify and it's probably the most modern one around, which as far as I know is the exact same notes, but just played in a more modern way. And this is from a 1994 recording, I think, at, by the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra in Los Angeles. think it's it's just night and day that when you actually when you hear it performed in this more modern way and recorded in this more modern way it it genuinely sounds like a, a modern piece of cinema music like the notes that he wrote would still be usable you could still use that as i say in a in a godzilla movie or or a modern king kong like it the music is fine it's just the performance style is a bit old true and also when you mentioned godzilla like i definitely like i think Steiner definitely influenced Godzilla theme because so there's a moment in I, I think it was literally just cop almost like a copy because there's a string motor motif uh, where it goes a uh, that sounds exactly like Godzilla's main theme. This is sort of like ostinato kind of steppy mm-hmm. type me- melody. Um, Godzilla was think- big in sorry um, King Kong was big in Japan too. They made yeah. their own kind of version of it and stuff like they were very aware of King Kong. Mm. Which is fair news. I mean, another thing that I love, and I just love because obviously Steiner was very. He was. He did a lot of work for RKO Studio. Mm-hmm. He actually, with King Kong, managed to get them out of, save them from bankruptcy. But I also love how there were a lot of films that he scored, which starred Betty Davis mm-hmm. in it. Okay. And I love the fact that she's been noted to say that he was my composer because oh. of his ability to get into the sort of feminine sort of mind to kind of translate her emotions and her stories and her feelings into the film. Like he was able to very well maneuver from both worlds. And for Betty Davis to be, to make that pro- that, that proclamation proclamation to be like he's my director I'm just like oh, he's, sorry, he's my composer I've never heard that from a, an actor to say yeah but yeah do, well, cool. do you have anything to add not really no <laughs> <laughs> okay then moving on to um, 
Franz Waxman? Yes. The clear modern influence of this film is, I think, less obvious. Um, the music itself... Um, it, it, it's interesting in that... Um, for me, the music of Bride and Frankenstein is actually far more avant-garde than Kong, I think, like in terms of the actual music itself. It's more... Um, it's using more contemporary techniques to the 1920s and 30s than King Kong. I think King Kong is, is a bit more old is a bit more old fashioned in most of its sounds. Um, so that Waxman is pushing the boat out more, but that in general, however, Steiner is being more innovative in how he applies the music to the film. So one is being the more innovative composer, the other is being maybe the more innovative film composer. Um, and that creates an interesting kind of split between the two films for me. Um, Bride of Frankenstein as a movie, like it's less genre defining than Kong, obviously. I mean, there's, there are very few films as genre defining as Kong. But the, the real... Um, the real headline thing of Bride of Frankenstein of why it's important as a film is its place in in queer cinema, essentially. Like um, James Whale, the director, pretty much the first openly gay film director. He is the character. He well, he's the person that Ian McKellen plays in the 1998-ish film Gods and Monsters, and Gods and Monsters is a line from Pretorius from this film. Um, and there is like the story of Frankenstein is this very strong sense of. Like, he just wants a friend. He just wants to be and to exist. And yet he is hated everywhere for who he is. Um, that is kind of the story of Bride and Fra Frankenstein. And it's really quite groundbreaking in that sense. And that is its place, um, really, in, in film history, I think, as well as being the, one of the seminal Frankenstein movies and creating the look and feel of, of that character and everything, which is also massive. Um its its lasting legacy is perhaps this more subversive side, and particularly the fact that it was doing this a year after the Hayes Code came in, and so everything's quite veiled. Um, now, what role could music play in that? Not a whole lot. Like the music, obviously, it um, it is quite groundbreaking, I guess, in a sense, in that a lot of the time it is, um, and we haven't talked spoken about that much, but a lot of the time it is. Um, communicating the creature's emotions um, again a bit like Kong because Kong can't speak and the creature can barely speak and in the beginning of the film can't speak it has to do the talking for them it has to provide the dialogue um, again something which music was actually quite familiar with at the time having just recently come out of silent movies um, but yeah, I, I think that that influence is obviously much harder to carry over now. It's harder to kind of look at this as being a pioneering example of providing a voice to a character that doesn't have one or providing any sort of a, an angle um, an angle there. So I, I think it, it, it is up against it a bit there. But that said, I mean, it also clearly picks up on some of the ideas that Steiner did in King Kong and applies them to things like the explosion scene at the end. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think it's more musically more innovative, but perhaps less significant as a as a moment in the craft of film scoring would be what I would say. 
Interesting. I mean, I wouldn't downplay his influence because I do feel that he still had a continuing influence and he provided his own template for horror music for others to follow, such Waxman as Dissidents. Waxman in general, for sure, just yeah. not specifically this movie, I guess. I think I think so, because bear in mind, so, like, as I said earlier, so 1931, Dracula came out, mm-hmm. which was using existing music. Then Frankenstein came out in 1931 as well, but that was um, using only new music at the beginning and end. Yep. So this then was the next level up. Um, the the upgrade of having music all throughout the film, mm-hmm. and but giving it more of a horror sort of element because like you know he followed with dissonance, shock chords, and memorable themes for each character in the story. Um, because King Kong, it's not necessarily been uh, marketed like it's people not not everybody thinks that King Kong is necessarily a horror movie. No. It's a fantasy and adventure film. That's a really good point, actually. So we could actually say The Pride of Frankenstein, where he's using these very sort of Stravinsky, Schoenberg-y, like like 20th century modern modernist music techniques, that this is the birth of of the horror Horror. movie of being where avant-garde concert music is heard by normal people. That is actually, that is a very good point. That is a very good point. So that's why I wouldn't necessarily, I would say that he has had, that's his legacy in some essence. So... It's hard because it's weird because then obviously if we're talking about horror music and like this is a horror special, then like, mm-hmm. oh, uh, okay, maybe Join for the legacy. Join me on the dark side, Ella. <laughs> but that's what I mean. For me, I feel like to honour the episode and honour what he's, what came afterwards, I would say I'm going to have to go with um, Waxman for legacy and yeah. give him tribute and give him and say like yeah you know for you've done well for the horror community and for the horror genre in terms of like obviously everything but at least for the universal horror monster films yeah um now you're that's look that I had actually literally penciled my vote in on King Kong, but I have just erased it and moved it across because that is a really really good point and that like he really does create that link of horror means really pushing what music does and in fact one of the like biggest um knocks on the music of this film is that literally a lot of the core sounds that we take for granted in modern horror movie horror movies particularly a lot of that like sort of penderecki style textualism mm-hmm. and stuff like that the dissonance it, the and dissonance all it hadn't been invented yet like it, mm-hmm, like it mm-hmm. literally yeah. hadn't happened yet, and but the moment that it did happen, it almost immediately found its way into horror, and that was perhaps because, well, almost certainly, in fact, because of the influence of Waxman, basically saying that the the most modern sound should and can be used in these in these horror movies, because um, the same thing happens in like the seventies and stuff where the like your the synth music, which is genuine, like these synths are new, um, and still being developed in terms of what sounds and stuff like they can create. They're immediately thrown into horror movies for their shock value. No, you're right. You're you're 100 right that in, that the tradition of the birth, you the, can yes, even say yes, the birth of what we expect from a horror movie horror movie score, a really avant garde, shocking, difficult to listen to score that that is something that 
the current film composers of the day are, are thinking of being the, the the bleeding edge of what they can play with. It starts in this movie. I love that. Yeah. This this is it. This is the birth of the of the true Halloween movie score. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so, do we it's have sti- a winner? We do. It's still a win for King Kong, but it was oh, a, no- a noble final push by by. It Bride was. I think. It was, it was, and um, like I, like I said, I think this is one of the episodes where I feel like it's very important for us to kind of discuss and talk about how where everything began and really remember how far we've come. Mm. Well, not we, but I mean how far film music has come in its development and how sometimes not to lose sight into what current film music is like, and but really think back and appreciate things. A little bit more um as we've been discussing now yeah. so yeah do you guys agree with us that's the ma- that's the next thing yes absolutely absolutely i mean go off watch them both of these films i think are actually in the public domain so they're they're, they're not actually that difficult to find out and around the place and there's certainly some very good because these are very classic film school type movies there's some very good video essays and stuff out there if you're interested in them to maybe find out a bit more about how the films work um go off and and enjoy these are two films that are absolutely worth the rabbit hole i think maybe more people think um about king kong and less about bride of frankenstein but bride of frankenstein is a i mean for a start it's only a 70 minute commitment so if you haven't watched it before listen to the episode I, I do recommend going out and watching it. It's it's safe. It's not too scary, but it's it's a it's a good film. It's a classic. Yeah. And you know, it, if you're ever wondering where the costumes came from, well, this is it again. It's mm. <laughs> it's 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 an enjoyable ride. I think just go back to it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with with watching the with watching the OG the OG films. Ben, yes, reach out to us on um, at at Tristella Music on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. All of those things. Let us know what you think. And let us know if you can think of any other, like maybe classic films um, that, that you'd like us to look into. For whatever reason, we seem to be digging into those a little bit at the moment. Um, speaking of which, next month, what we're going to be doing. So November, we've, we've built this kind of funny tradition, I guess, because November, we're just always really busy for some reason. So we've built this tradition in November of having essentially what I, what I like to call our fireside chat episodes. So in season one, we um, spoke about our favorite music. Uh, season two last year, we spoke about maybe the, um, the trends in film music that we wished would die. Uh, this, this year, I mean, let's face it, it's been a bit of a different year for everybody. And so what we've decided is that we're going to be talking about, and we're going to each bring along three tracks that we've been listening to during quarantine. So whether that is just soundtrack music in general that we've been listening to in the background or maybe um, music from a, a TV show, movie or game, whatever that, that we've been consuming during the, goodness, seven months of, of quarantine and lockdowns now. <laughs> um, oh, God, yeah. yeah Don't remind me. Up. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to be talking about those. I, I think that could be quite just quite interesting in itself and I think it's going to be an episode of the times as it were yeah definitely and I, I always feel I think as you touched upon how like November I feel like November is usually the time where it gives the audience you guys the listeners an opportunity to get to know us a little bit more yeah I guess and what makes us tick what we prefer what we like what we don't like and yes without without the stress of us having to argue for one film over <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know and 
yeah so it's a more of a personalized episode i would say so yeah i'm i'm looking forward to sharing what music got me through quarantine mm. um which i hope in some ways may influence and help you guys wherever you are listening to get help you through get the through rest of your... quarantine which could yeah. be some time <laughs> yeah but until then goodbye bye found my place and it's me on top of the world i am king kong drop the gate i hear the chariot coming today i am king kong i'm king kong i'm king kong i'm king kong everybody get up King Kong, beat my fist and chest. I don't feel the pressure. Show the world the best. I endure the pain. Let the gorillas out. Ignore the chains. Now all my nails out. Now half forsaken me. Finally back making heat. Cooking like a bakery. Now there ain't no breaking me. Down where my ancestors wish that they could see me now. I'm the best, no question, ain't no testing me. Generation crazy, cause good music rock boy. You think I was with Shady? Shout out to my goons getting young money. Still, I'm trying to get that old money. Oops, I mean that royal money. Haters these days are so funny. Ha ha ha. Spit, talking spit, blah blah blah. They can't beat me. Why you gotta try? I'm a vain monster, Lady Gaga, and I ain't gonna lie. If I ain't get mine, I wouldn't be fly. I'll be back in the project hallways all day. Now I'm just lying. I'm a cry till I get mine.